because what the hell else can you do, right? I mean, every morning when I wake up, maybe it's because I've gotten older, but every morning when I wake up, I'm like, all right, think about it for a second. You were just in oblivion for six, seven, eight, nine, if you're really lucky, 10 hours. What the hell's happening today? And you do there and you lay there, and I think every single one of us, unless you wake up late, in which case your day is fucked, at least the first couple hours. (laughs) But when you first wake up, you're thinking, all right, what's going on? And you do a little personal reassessment. You do a regional reassessment. You do a global reassessment. And you think, okay, what am I looking at today? Maybe you do a little personal inventory. Maybe you do a little job list. Maybe you walk down to your coffee maker and your wife has taped a list of things that she'd really like you to do today. No, Are you sure that our wives are not related? I'm not sure they're not the same person. (laughs) I'm not sure they're not running back and forth between our two homes. They love their lists. Oh, man. So, but anyway, regardless, you wake up in the day and you gotta gotta kinda understand what the day is gonna look like, right? Like, you don't have to wake up and be like, I don't know why, but today's gonna be a great day! (laughs) Like, you know, but you wake up and you think about things and you look at things, and the reason I wanted to play that song by Rare Earth is because the sun is shining today. Now, unfortunately, with the rapid-fire, cold-warm rain sun that we've had here in the Twin Cities, my allergies are like, I feel like bees spent the last 12 hours stinging my face, like my eyes and my face. I I can't, I can barely breathe. I know I look like I've been punched by somebody with very large fists and, you know, but it's okay because, you know, I woke up thinking, oh man, my city's not on fire. We have a long way to go to serve any kind of real justice. But something good happened. Given the year and a half that we've all endured, something fucking really great happened. It's not the end. It's not the fix. Everything's not okay. The playing field is not even. But something good happened. And I woke up thinking about that. And it's had me. I'm kind of an emotional bitch. Everyone knows that. You know that, right, Sean? Oh, yeah. 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 Easy, guy. Okay, easy. <laughs> well, I'm the same way, man. I'm the I, same but, way. But I, like, you I and woke I up... cry more than our wives, too. That's the oh, other weird way thing. way more than <laughs> my do. wife. No, it's... but, I, but I, like, I've been kind of emotional and soft all day today yeah. because it felt good. It, you know, like... The, a victory. Like, it, when, I'm a Vikings fan, so I don't expect to win the Super Bowl but man, that ever. one really, no, literally ever, <laughs> but that one great victory, the Minneapolis miracle, right? Like, like you hang on to that and it warms your heart. It makes you loosey goosey and oh, sorry, I'm not really sure what I'm saying. My name is Brian Oak. It's the Brian Oak show episode 151. That's Sean Bernard. How are you, Sean? I am. I'm kind of the same as you. I'm, I'm feeling good, but I still know there's a shitload of work to be done. And there's a funeral today for Dante Wright, mm. you know, and so you look at it and you go, how much can we celebrate? Will this wake people up? Uh, you know, can we really make change and use this as a launching point? Um, or will it be a blip uh, on the radar where we look back and go, oh, yeah, we did that right. But we kept fucking everything else up and treating other people like they weren't human beings. Well, it's been happening for, you know, time immemorial and it will continue to happen The one thing I take away is because America is so caught up in being the land of justice and we believe in the individual and we believe in in what the courts do, a precedent has been set for what it means to murder someone in broad daylight. You know, we're in the Smart Start MN studio right now, literally a mere 10 blocks south, less than a mile away from where George Floyd 
was murdered in broad daylight. And thank God for the video. And thank God for the people who will be eternally traumatized to the end of their lives. But they had the strength to stand there and take the video and bear witness to what went down. Because imagine if that video hadn't existed. I don't think we would be enjoying whatever small, tiny sliver of justice we're enjoying right now. No chance. We're going to be talking just ahead to a guest who is, first of all, funky as fuck. (laughs) And also, we were texting earlier this morning, and it it made me reflect on who I am and what I am. And I think that that self-reflection and self-awareness are really crucial aspects. At one point, I wrote something to him, and all he wrote back was three little letters that said everything. He wrote, dig. (laughs) That's juice now and now now but here's the deal imagine if you had sent me a text and yeah. i wrote back dig you'd be like the fuck, what a poser what a fucking piece of shit whereas whereas where when our guest that we're about to talk to wrote back dig i'm like shit we got link from the mod squad on the exactly. show today oh son of a bitch i am so excited to talk to julius collins so let's wrap up this portion of our meanderings and thoughtful so-called thoughtfulness but before we get to talking to julius collins and hearing some music from greasy meal and other related projects because they got stuff on the on the books you just bought tickets we'll talk about that in a minute but i was doing a little digging the last few days trying to get my head around what's going on and you know i i admit to growing up very white and privileged and relatively ignorant in this country and as i got to be older and decided it was important to learn more and broaden my horizons i came across nina simone now you know erica badu i'll be honest was my entree to, to Nina Simone. I, w- I was too young to really be part of what Nina Simone was about. Erica Badu blew my mind because despite all the other divas and great, great African-American singers of her ilk, she was not like anybody else. And you go back and look at Nina Simone, and if, if the rest of my fellow square-ass white middle-aged dudes need a, a contact point, Nina Simone is the David Bowie of female African-American singer-songwriters. Now, Billie Holiday, genius. Sarah Vaughn, genius. You move forward into the modern day, you know, Beyonce, genius. Nina Simone, and again, I, I remain utterly ignorant. I do not pretend to be encyclopedic in my knowledge of her. Nina Simone's importance in the evolution and the expression of American music in the 20th century, in my very humble and admittedly ignorant opinion, is as important as it gets. Not only because of her vocal styling, because she was a killer singer. Not only in her fresh approach to what music could sound like, because she bent the rules. She changed a lot of shit. She wrote songs that didn't make any sense to people at the time and now have come to be revered as some of the most important songs of that era. But the content, I've always been a lyrics guy, the content, like if you sit down and listen to a song, it can change everything. And this song in particular, it's it it sucks out loud that this song is almost 60 years old and it might be more pertinent today. And here in the North, where we think ourselves so enlightened and so wonderful in the northern part of the United States, it applies to us just as much. And Mississippi has the same meter and syncopation as Minnesota. Someone needs to rework this song and call it Minnesota Goddamn. Bye. 
so upset Tennessee made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi God damn Alabama's got me so upset Lurleen Wallace has made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Got me so upset and Memphis has made me lose my rest. Everybody knows about Mississippi God Hound dogs on my trail. Little school children sitting in jail. Black cat crossed my path. I think every day's gonna be my last. Lord have mercy on this land of mine. We all gonna get it in due time. Cause I don't belong here, I don't belong there. I've even stopped believing in prayer. Violent, honey. Oh. 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 Whoa, dude. Picket lines, school boycotts. They try to say it's a communist spot. But all I want is equality for my sister, my brother, my people, and me. And I loved him because he believed in live by it. But you lied to me all the years. You told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady and you stopped calling my mama and Sadie. 
Now, if you thought, hey, that was cool, that was interesting, man, Nina Simone, wow, it sounded like there was some good stuff in there, pause this podcast and go back and listen to every single word, because the words she wrote in 1960, late 63, early 64, it's the same damn thing. And I think a lot of us in Minnesota are like, yeah, well, at least we're not Mississippi. Fuck you. And fuck me, right? I mean, like... What's been great about these last few years amidst the horror, actual horror, and that word has meaning, actual horror and tragedy, is there has been at least a mild awakening. But one of the things she, I mean, you hear the background singers as they're slapping that bass and playing those drums singing, too slow. Incremental change is fine, but people keep dying. They're gone forever. It's not fucking okay. Today's guest, and I do have to mention our sponsor, but before we do that is Julius Collins, who needs no introduction, although he's going to get one shortly. But Julius, first of all, hello. How are you? What's going on, Oak? How you doing, man? I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm so, so happy that you're here. So before we get to we, before we get to our sponsor, I want to ask you, I realize that to some people it may be an outrageous comparison because obviously it's not direct. But when I call Nina Simone... The David Bowie. I'm not trying to put her into a codified, easy, easily digestible white man's interpretation of what she is. What I mean is she was fearlessly inventive. She was not afraid to do something that hadn't been done before. And she was always honest to herself, even though Bowie always portrayed himself as the actor because he was kind of afraid to be himself. Nina Simone was endlessly inventive, and it's part of the reason that she's not Aretha Franklin, right? It's part of the reason she's not Billie Holiday. Nina Simone, I guess, ultimately, like Bowie, there's no one else like Nina Simone. I I think everything you said to describe Nina Simone, you would use those words to describe Bowie. I mean, it, I mean, he's an interesting dichotomy in that, you know, he's, you know, he was he was fearless and yet, you know, fearful. But but oh, he had a shield up. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Nina Simone let it, was, it all it hang out. Face, yeah. And I think you know the difference is obviously life experience as it relates to Nina Simone in America. Also, one was a British white man, another one was an American African American woman. Yeah, but though that British white man was a very very interesting and plugged in human being. So in that sense, I think they both were really pushing the needle. 
We're going to talk more to Julius Collins in a minute because, holy shit, I reached out to Julius at the last <laughs> minute last week, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's weird <laughs> for me like to see Julius Collins sitting in the Smart Start MN studio. Speaking of which, before we go any further, Smart Start MN is the primary sponsor for The Brian Oak Show. They are the originator of Minnesota's Ignition Interlock Company, and here we are 151 episodes in. They signed on before we had a single episode, and somehow they're still here. Can you explain that, Sean? I think that uh, they're just fantastic guys, and they were like, we're going to support you all the way through this, and they're, they're, they're huge music fans. I thought you were going to say they were locked in your basement. They're also locked in my basement. <laughs> they're huge. They're huge Brian Oak fans. What? And Weird. They just have been a great partner. Uh, if you know somebody that unfortunately gets a DUI, you know that they lose their license right away, whether they're found guilty or not. You're going to lose your license for at least six months, if not longer. What they can do is they'll put in this little device called an ignition interlock system into your vehicle. If you want 20% off that system, just go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show for 20% off. If anyone's ever seen The Matrix, it's very similar to that thing that plugs into the back of your neck, right? Yeah, exactly right. Okay, good. good. Well, as, long as, we, as long as we can get back to some sort of normal life. Totally fine. Julius Collins has been melting faces with his musical talent and his vocal stylings for a very, very long time at an exceptionally high level. Um, I'm really honored to have you back here again, man. I, and I know that you're you're like a mellow guy, and you like to play that shit down. <laughs> but 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 you've melted faces for a long time, man. And it's I want to know when's the first time. And this is going to sound like a kind of silly question, but I mean you have done it with a lot of incredible musicians at a high level. Lucky. You you are an account. You're lucky, but also. I've always said, because a lot of people have described me as lucky, the luckiest people I know are also the hardest working people I know. Like, you show up every single time, whether there's four people standing around watching you do your thing or you're playing to a crowd of thousands. You show up, you do your work. The luckiest people are the hardest working people that are out there. At what point in your life did you realize... And again, it doesn't mean that you think you're a badass or you've got this crazy overarching attitude. At what point in your life did it happen that you're like, you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this. I think I'm going to do this. Oh, jeepers. Let's see. Uh, I remember. Holy cowboy. Did Julius Collins just drop a jeepers on me? <laughs> he owns jeepers. He owns jeepers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my Thursday's listen, getting better and better, yeah, listen, man. I, man, listen, I grew up in a foster home where you weren't allowed to cuss, and that was uh, as close as I could come hey, to saying. I love Jeepers, man. JC. I just, I just, I'm looking over at Julius Collins, and he just dropped a Jeepers and on that me. Was I a, love what, it. that was what, Waterloo? That was Waterloo. Yeah. Waterloo. Um, you know, I remember my, the, like the first time I ever sang in church. And uh, I mean, before So that, how old are we at this point? I was in for a like third grade. I, I had like I had my like first solo in school right about the same time that yeah, yeah. Um, I got a solo in in, in choir. And in, in, in the black church, man, listen, they 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 support you whether you're terrible or not. So, but you in the church that I grew up, there were some really great singers. And then when other churches would sometimes come to town, there'd be like, Ooh. and you know, <laughs> so you got a chance to see people react honestly while still trying to you know, yeah. Be supportive. Yeah, be supportive. <laughs> Keep the faith. In a historically black church manner. But um, when people, I think the way the older people reacted to to me made me feel like I had a gift. 
uh, my first music teacher who is right now in the process of having open heart surgery. So I wish I'm thinking and sending my best wishes to Miss West, Mrs. Western. Light and love, man. I, I have music teachers in my life like that who are not in that situation. But light and love to those people. They changed my life. Without it, she saved mine. In third grade, she she just I used to go hang out in her in the music room, and she gave me my first solo and made me feel like seen for the first time in my mm, life. Right. Was, foster care system can be a little bit hard on you mentally, but so <laughs> so I, that was about the same. Right around third grade, I was like, wow, you know, I'm. I've got a gift. And I had heard that my father, who I hadn't ever met at that time, and his brothers were singers. So I, I, I knew that I inherited it. But the first time I realized that I had something I could use, I was like, oh, this is something for me. And at the time, I felt like there was nothing for me. Well, in this day and age, you are a, well... Although, albeit still handsome, grizzled veteran of the Minnesota music scene. Trying to call scene. me old? No, no. That's why I threw in handsome, because you still look significantly younger than I look. And, we're, I, well, you're probably actually way younger than I am. Yes, My point was this, is that you have been playing music for a long time. Yes, and, you know, Dr. Mambo's combo is where most people will know you from. But you played music with a great number of people. And there's so much I want to talk to you about. But before we go any further, Christ, we're... Did I? Oh, I'm so sorry for taking Hilarious. the Lord's name in vain. No, I, really? <laughs> Are we going down that road? No, I've been no. long kicked out of the church, bro. No, not yeah. Well, same. You see me? Uh, yeah, same. No, we're we're not. I just all of a sudden I said that I'm like I don't ever use that word. But that, that was word. the deal, man. When I was a kid, it was like you said Jesus Christ. It was like oh. It was yep. going, shit was going down. Oh, yep. the wooden spoon was coming yeah, out? it was whatever was handy. Usually it was like those old school orange race car tracks. <laughs> oh, man. Those things Marks, man. Are you telling? Are you telling me that you've been spanked with Hot Wheels tracks? I have, and oh! I mean more than more than once. the The lady that raised me was she was from you know she's from Mississippi. She was she born in nineteen oh eight, so she she needed order at the time. It seemed insane, and still seems insane in retrospect. <laughs> but I get it in that old black women have seen a lot. Of shit in this country, yeah. and more kid, than most. And kids don't have to really get out of line to get hung back in the old days, or to get dead today. Yeah. They just have to get a little out of line t- for some justification. So some of that punishment, in retrospect, I'm really grateful for. I don't, I wouldn't, didn't, we didn't do it with our children or anything like that. But I, I, it was a good thing to to have somebody really, you know, illustrate, even if in brutal fashion, how important it is to kind of keep your head about you. Am I? remembering right julius because we've known each other a long time but wasn't wasn't a lot of music held back from you like your access to music until you were out of the house yeah i mean the first foster home i the the only music i ever could listen to was gospel on sundays and gospel in church and then in school like in choir and show choir and stuff like that so i had like this huge chasm in my musical taste, and then I would sneak to listen to the radio every now and then. But the second foster home I lived in, they had music, and you turn on the light in every room, music would come on. So it's like the beginning, really, of my musical education. And wow. how old are you at this point? That was, uh, I was 16. Okay, I mean, this is an important time in every single human being's yes. life. Yeah. And suddenly you're having a musical awakening, and you're hearing things that you've never heard in your entire life before. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. It was, uh, you know, the world opened up to me in that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've I, had several of those experiences over the years where you're like, there's like Michael Bland introduced me to like a world of music that mm-hmm. I, I may or may not have ever 
you know, been exposed to. So I'm always grateful for those people. Like Jim Anton's another one of those people. Oh, yeah. You're lucky to have people in your life that kind of help enlighten you. But that was for, for me, that was just like first base. Here's the deal. I'm about to turn 53. I just met a person within the last year who's doing that to me right now. He knows everything about all this cool late 70s power pop, post-punk early pop stuff from the late 70s to early 80s, I'm having another epiphany right now, and it's great because if you keep your mind open, it never stops. Yeah. Now, before we talk about more musical exploration, what Greasy Meal has coming up, because I know that our producer, Sean Bernard, just got himself some tickets and is sort of wetting himself a little bit about his excitement in seeing your band live. Before we talk about any of that, but we also have to talk about what's going down in the city that we all love, I want to hear some music by Greasy Meal. This song is called Beat. Tell me why you picked this song. Tell me what the song's about. You know, I, well, sorry about the switching the songs on your last minute, dude, but I, I got to thinking about no what's happening right here, now. Man. We can, they were all good. We, we they can were do, all good they're selections. all great, and we can do anything, and you know what? We live in... We're living in very dynamic times right now, so changing at the last minute, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what we all have to do, right? Take that. Beat is... Uh, was on I want to say Greasy Meal's third disc and uh it was sort of like paying homage to what happened over there at the Caboose on Sunday nights mm-hmm. it was just kind of but it was more about you know we're in the here and now you know our time's going to come and it's going to be someone else in this space and the beat goes on so that was essentially the the thinking behind this song Got a job to do.
So maybe I don't want to listen to a Herbie Mann double live album. God damn, I love I love a flute, man. I got nothing against a flute. I got nothing against a flute. Tell me I'm wrong. The flute, first of all, is powerful and sexy. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it, it can be a little ethereal. But I've heard fl- I've heard flutes work in country songs. I've heard flute work in funk songs i've heard flutes work in classical songs and right there i don't know what just happened but if you want to follow up a flute with a synthesizer outro i'm down all day every day (laughs) dr mambo's combo has got a show coming up june 13th it's a sunday show and it's not just one show it's like the old school days back in the 60s it's hard for most of us our age or younger to realize that like Hendrix used to do double set nights like like oh we got a seven o'clock show and then we got a nine o'clock show right like Hendrix right (laughs) that's a mind bender to think about like oh yeah two sets coming up tonight at the Vanguard or wherever the hell he's playing (laughs) you've got a double set coming up at the Hook and Ladder who we have a long relationship with here on the Brian Oak show and I'm a huge fan of the people and what they do over there they're a nonprofit. they they explore all kinds of cool things they're right in my neck of the woods and thank God last spring I mean, they were there at ground zero when shit went down after the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, and they made it. And they're still, they've, they've still survived because a lot of places have not. 
you got a show coming up, Dr. Mambo's Combo, on Sunday, June 13th. Are you excited? I'm very excited. It's interesting. Um, have, not having This will be the first time I've played music publicly since the combo stopped playing. I remember that last Monday night where I was like, Jesus. Oh. Like, I mean, no so more, no more, right before everything shut down. And, we're talking like a little over a year ago, yeah, right? Yeah. So you haven't played out live in a year. No, uh, you know, I, I have been one of those people who would err on the, I'm oh, not yeah. going to fuck with this size. Yes. No judging, but so, I'm, just, I'm wondering, for, like, for, for someone who's played out live so many nights of their life, who it's essentially part of who you are. It is the fabric of Julius Collins. What's the last year been like then, not doing that? Like, are you finding other outlets? Are you sitting at home chewing on your arm? I mean, what what, what, are, what are you doing to, how has it been for the last year? It's been fits and starts, I mean, both literally and emotionally, because there were times where I was stagnant and just so angry and weighed down by the the gravity of what, you know, what life was like this past year. Um, and then there were other times I was energized and, and excited to, to conquer whatever it is that's going on so that to get beyond it. Um, there was some, some recording going on. I did some virtual shows, that sort of thing, um, session work. But, um, you know, obviously that's, that's very different than being in front of people like if you're doing a play or if you're playing a concert. So um, I think initially I had to make peace with the fact that I didn't know when it was going to happen again. So it really did make me kind of examine what I was, who I was going forward if, you know, as, I, as I didn't know what life would be like after the fact. So it's like, you know, I have to make peace with the fact that maybe I never do another concert again. Oh. Well, I mean, and again, so as a guy going through recovery, they do that whole one day at a time thing, right? Like if you have to sit down and be like, you'll never have another drink of delicious Irish Irish whiskey as long as you live. Like, well, fuck you. Don't you, tell me, <laughs> don't you tell me who I am. But I can get through today. I mean, so you sit down and do that examination. Now, clearly you knew at some point again during your life you're going to play again. But you know it might be a long time. When you sat down and did that kind of self-examination and you thought about what is Julius Collins without playing live music, what kind of answers did you find? Well, it's funny because during this past year, I started to explore other things, you know, I mean, that weren't music or theater or art related. I started writing for zone coverage mm-hmm. and I'm a big basketball fan. Right. Yeah. I, I love the Timberwolves. I have loved them since 1989. So as a Vikings fan, I can relate because both our teams suck. Hey, now at least your team has tasted some success. <laughs> you taste, too, like 20 your years ago, right? Hey, ah, good one. Oh, son that, of a that man. one time. You, you know, I didn't mean that in a bad way. No, I, I, like, get it, I, I want, I want the Vikings to be champions. I want them to be sitting on each other's shoulders and marching around town. And I want the downtown <laughs> parade just as I know Basketball fans are even more fanatic than football fans, right? Football fans like to drink light beer on Sunday and mm-hmm. eat some barbecue, right? Or a big <laughs> plate of cheese and sausage. It, 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 both teams, though, like we just, would it be nice if we could get a little love? So you, tell me, before we before we dive into that part of it, um, tell me about zone coverage. You write for them. Zone coverage, yes. Uh, uh, I, they hit me up and asked if I'd have any interest um, writing an occasional story on the Timberwolves. I know Cy. Uh, I'm on Sun for for a while mm-hmm. now. He's a big, he's a just first of all, he's a really funny dude, really he's smart really funny, dude, yeah. really busy, active dude. Did some work with ESPN, the Comedy Club over um, downtown, and 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 Cy 
I've done his podcast from time to time, so he asked me if I'd have any interest in, in writing an occasional art article, and I just was flattered that he asked, and so I do. I, I enjoy it. I just I, I write one every few weeks or so, and it's just pretty cool. So zonecoverage.com is where you can find those. What's it like? Because I know what it's like, but I'm asking for the people who are listening to this particular podcast, episode 151 of The Brian Oak Show. What's it like to truly believe and want the best for your team when they're like Lucy from the Peanuts and pull the football away from you <laughs> every goddamn year, man. I okay. mean, like, like you believe, right? And you, and you see the future. And you're like, the draft's coming up. We're working on these things. We got this thing going on. And you watch the balloons pop year after year because I get it. I, I know nothing about the NBA, but as a Vikings fan, I know exactly about it. What's it like for you as a fan and someone who wants nothing more than your team to reach the mountaintop and it just seems like it's never going to fucking happen. Well, well, let me just start by the, saying this. Any comparison between the Vikings and the Timberwolves is theoretical sometimes at best because at least the Vikings have actually been on the precipice of, of winning something. Now, have they? Devis- yeah, they have. have. They? Yeah, they have. NFC Come on, championships man. versus NBA Three of finals. Them. Yeah. And, yeah. Four, and, and four Super Bowls. The problem is. But nobody that- ever believed. Well, you know. I, when believed. I was a kid, I believed when they had ahead. Fran Tarkington and George. Yeah, yeah. I thought I believed then when Alan Page was on the team. Great, but it was always... I believed the year that Brett Favre was on the team. I was like, we have this, yeah. and they would have won that game hadn't you know Adrian kicked the ball away six or seven times. And... So let me ask you this: Is it worse? And I, I mean this in all sincerity. I'm not trying to be a smartass. Is it worse? It's always the funniest precursor ever to taste. Is it worse to taste the beginning? Of that delicious <laughs> celebratory it. meal? <laughs> now or, we're getting or into this. Or is it better to have never been admitted to the ballroom and even be allowed to smell what the appetizers smell <laughs> now like? Now you get it. Now you get it. When Son I was, of a bitch. When I was in junior high school, I was a wrestler. Uh-huh. And I didn't know how to, like, lose weight, like, intelligently. So I would just, like, fast for three days straight and not drink oh. water. But I would go up into the lunchroom and smell the food. <laughs> and it was like almost eating. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the Vikings are me as a wrestler in junior high and high school. The Timberwolves You're right there. have never won a match. The Timberwolves never ever give you the sense that they're going. Now, the, the one year, you know, what was it, 08, 09, when KG and Spreewell mm-hmm. and Sam, that was a year that was like, oh my goodness, this is something different. They, you know, the, the Timberwolves more often than not will let you let you off the hook long emotionally long before you know you get yourself all strung out. But you, it's a longer season. There are more games, and you get more time to get yourself juiced up. Or you just I, like look, lose. You just go numb. Wait, oh, amen, my good man. <laughs> Minnesota sports fans, we all know the feeling. Um, look, we got to talk about what our city's gone through in the last few weeks, uh-huh. few months, uh-huh. more than a year. We're so close to ground zero. But before we do that, we're already far enough in that we need to hear another song. And what is the next song we've chosen? This, Today. This song's called Today. Um, I woke up this morning um, missing my best friend, Brian Gallagher, who passed away mm-hmm. just over five years ago. And tell, right me, at, tell me a little bit about him. Brian. Without, without, I'm, I'm Brian, sorry, is, I, I Brian was, um, I don't know that there's anybody who didn't meet Brian who just didn't like adore him. He was just mm-hmm. one of those people that was just really easy to love. But my favorite thing about him was um, he really knew how to give me the business. He really knew how to <laughs> take advantage of my sensitivity. And um, It's important to have a counterpoint, man. He abused me. <laughs> he abused me. Um, but he was... 
he was and in my mind he remains just the kind of person that is just the rarest of the rare in terms of a musician he was he was pristine man he was the hardest working musician i'd ever been around mm. he, he was always like practicing and different instruments and we wrote a ton of songs together during greasy meal and this is one of the songs after greasy meal i was doing two projects simultaneously one of them was called sons of almighty with michael and sonny and mm-hmm. tommy and the other one was called the fuzz and that was a project that um, this song is from, and that was more like a quasi stadium rock. This one is more.
this may go on forever if you... <laughs> it is Greasy Meal. We I mean, so, uh, we Greasy Meal influenced. We have forever. I mean, let's not diminish the emotional impact of the outro, Julius. Please. I just know where we are in America anymore, man. <laughs> I know where we are. Good question, and we're going to talk about that. Intros and outros are oh. so different than they had been. Well, but also, though, like, maybe if people took a little more time to be thoughtful about the intro and outro. like There's that. We started things out with Rare Earth, man. I just want to celebrate that intro. That intro is crazy. It says everything, man. Immediately. Immediately. Before the words even come mm-hmm. in. You know where we're headed. We are in the Brian Oak Show, episode 151. Before we continue our conversation with Julius Collins, uh, I want to mention one Sean Bernard, who is also in the room. Hi, Sean. I see you right over there. I'm right here. How are My bro. I know. I love this guy. Yeah, and I know. You guys go back a long way. (laughs) Got the same uncles and everything. We do. We do. We are now cousins. What? Yeah, we've got the same uncle. For real? We really do. Yeah, Yeah, for real. Yep. Uncle Tony. Uncle Tony, <laughs> greatest <laughs> uncle ever, man. Yes, Here the only go. person that maybe has seen you live more than me is probably Uncle Tony. Him. Yeah, yeah man. Uncle, Uncle Tony, Tony comes Tony. through. He'll run. That's a good through. hang. Absolutely. So I do this uh, this other gig uh, at Edina Realty. So I help people buy and sell homes, and and if you know somebody's looking to buy or sell, have them give me a call six one two eight five nine two five nine four. This year, I'm doing something new to help support local musicians, and so if you're on the buy side or the sell side, uh, we're going to donate a portion of every sale to a local musician or artist. Our friends Liz and uh, Phelan, who are listeners of the show, they just bought a house right over here on the south side by Hiawatha Golf Course, and they are going to donate uh, to, actually, I'm donating it, but on their behalf to uh, local artist Sarah White. And so That's cool. Uh, yeah, so there's going to be a portion of that sale donated to Sarah. We'll be reaching out to her today to let her know that they chose her. So 612-859-2594, that number is also textable. You're acting almost like community is important. Well, <laughs> this is the fucking problem right now. It's like, do you just wonder, do do some people, are they just not born with empathy? And And, and by the way, there's a fucking huge difference between pity and empathy. Yes, they're not. Is. They're not the same thing they're at just all. Not no, no, no. Different places. Yeah. Pity is looking at someone like, oh, poor baby, but not really having any attachment to it. Empathy yeah. is like, holy shit, we're the same thing. Yeah. And it, it's different, man. Well, I know what we're about to talk about, and I, I, I think it's important to say this. A friend of mine who happens to be black reached out to me when the George Floyd thing went down, when the murder went down, and she said, "Do you think you have white privilege?" And I said, you know, I used to struggle with that because my mom left when I was 13. She was a heroin addict. My dad was an abusive alcoholic. And I'm saying that on the show, but that's just the way it was. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I have white privilege. And then I started to really think about it. I'm like, (laughs) but I did have opportunity. And I did have other white people that I knew that helped me get to where I needed to go. And I wasn't pulled over because of the color of my skin. And I started kind of unpacking it. So there are white people who think, well, I'm not privileged. I didn't have that privilege. And they don't understand what the term means. It's every day. It's walking down the street. It is, you you know, job interview, damn, for sure. It's walking down the street. I've been pulled over for expired tabs because I am a lazy son of a bitch Mm -hmm. no less than a half dozen times in my life. At no point ever in any one of those stops did I feel like, 
shit, I'm in real danger here. I'm like, oh, it's going to be administrative hassle. I'm going to have to pay a big fine. Fuck me. This is fucking garbage. This is stupid, man. (laughs) At no point did I ever think, oh, shit, I could lose my life. And so I've had to do a lot of the same unpacking that you're talking about. So, Julius, you know, we are literally sitting right here 10 blocks away from where George Floyd was. Thank God for the video. It's terrible that it happened, but thank God in the wake of it that there was the video. We're literally 10 blocks away from where a grown man, a human being, who even at the worst case scenario, if you choose to believe it, was guilty of some lame-ass misdemeanor, Uh was murdered in broad daylight in front of everyone's eyes. Now, do I think that cops don't face a difficult situation now and then? Of course they do. That's that's what they've been chosen to do. That it's 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 a, a not a cool profession. It's a dangerous profession. Do I feel like justice was served with Derek Chauvin being convicted of all three of the counts against him, including two murder charges? I absolutely do. Do I believe that the world has been healed by those convictions? No, I do not. Um, and so you, as a black man. You've lived with this your whole life. I imagine in Waterloo, Iowa, you didn't have any small share of it. And here in Minnesota, you've probably encountered it. But I don't presume to speak for you. Where are you at right now, a couple days removed from the Derek Chauvin convictions? Well... I realize it's a giant question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. see if I, I can condense so that down. I mean, um, uh, yesterday, I felt like I had done... You know, three triathlons. I was, I I had no idea just how much of that stress I was carrying. Um, so I guess initially I felt relief. I felt relief because I know for a fact that black folks are done taking that, um, that incremental bite at the apple um, hasn't served us. And it has generally um, come at our expense because it's for the comfort of other people when you do things where you know what where right is and you go just a short ways down the road as a way of appeasement, but you don't get the solution. So the George Floyd thing kind of illuminated uh, everything you needed to know about the black experience in America um, down to the way it was defended, down to some of the code language that was used, mm-hmm. down to some of the uh, the history of, of the victim. These things have, for the most part, um, freed murderers. And with that freedom comes the sense of invincibility. They don't have a sense of that there will be any consequences. And oftentimes these people aren't from the communities they police, and so they come in with a bias already. It becomes tricky. I have had three very scary situations with the police. I've been pulled over a lot, but we're gone where guns were drawn, and and it was. Really, really scary. Down, face down on the pavement, mm. accused of stealing my own car. Craziness, oh, man. Jesus. Where they want to kill you, they want to kill you. <laughs> and well, so, and largely, they can. They and, can, and that's part of the joy of it. And I think it's important to really say, as a caveat, that policing is a tough gig. Mm-hmm. It's a tough gig, any way you slice it. But um, if we don't ever really address the history of policing in America and how it started you know, by policing black bodies and some of the energy that comes with it. I think there are people who go into police work and for them, it really truly is a mission to serve the public, to really 
you know, act as that, that, that go between terrible and everyday life and to be there as a way to help. Um, and then there are those people who go into policing because they enjoy the, the, the fear that it kind of, uh, the power. Yeah. They, they enjoy that. I mean, I, I just, I know for a fact, I mean, I can tell you story after story after story and every black person, especially black man can, the fact that we were nervously awaiting that verdict, Mm -hmm. it, it tells you all you need to know about where we are. I was happy for it. Just like I was happy when Obama was elected because it made me feel like this country really does want to move beyond its uh, defense of white privilege to the point where we can actually have opportunity for everybody and no one's threatened by it. And then we got the the guy after that is a whiplash effect. So my fears that come after the relief are just a function of, I know what we're dealing with. I know what we're Mm -hmm. up against. And until that thinking goes away, that us against them thinking goes away until you stop viewing us as criminals before you view us as humans. Um, I will never defend criminal behavior. Uh, I think, but I also know when opportunities don't exist and there's no view to a better life, you do what you got to do to get by. So until we have some better understanding of, of why we send police into situations that we probably don't need to send them into and they carry that gun, it escalates things. And, for all the talk of de-escalation, we don't see it. I've um, I've spent a lot of my last few years listening, whether it be along sexual lines, racial lines, cultural lines, whatever the case may be, because I realized, you know, even though I always thought of myself as an enlightened, lefty, white dude, there's a lot of things I've never thought about before. And I remember reading a tweet a while back in anticipation of how this was going to go, that... White folks don't get to tell other people how to respond to lifelong oppression, you know, as, as results, as regards rioting or burning or whatever. It's like you don't get to determine the expression of people who have lived with oppression from the moment they were born and will live with it till the moment they die. And I thought about it, you know, and the other day when I was when I heard, oh, my God, the decision's coming down. I'm like, I sent out a tweet myself. I'm like. I love this city. I call this city my home. Uh-huh. I don't want to see it burn. But if it has to burn, it has to burn, right? Like something's got to change. And I can't advocate violence, right? I can't, I can't advocate destruction. I'd rather you go to the the HQ of terrible international, you know. Uh-huh. But that's not practical, right? Like rage bubbles up. Living with that sort of insurmountable hopelessness every day, I don't get to say how somebody reacts to that sort of emotion that you've lived with every goddamn day. Yeah, and uh, sometimes it's minute by minute um, because you really do. I mean, I have a son who drives around this city. It um, it leaves me shaken a lot of the times. Um, even though he's a responsible, smart dude, he knows the rules, we've had the talk. Having to have the talk is, is, is some bullshit, but it is without a doubt everything every black parent has had to do, Which and you do it crazy. early because he, at 11 years old, was playing basketball at Sibley Park, and the cops rolled on up on mm. them, guns drawn. Oh. <laughs> and he was the only because... one, like, smart or stupid enough to not run, and so he ends up, you know, getting the business. But I mean, he, he learned early on, sadly, a lesson that a lot of us learn, which is uh, you, go, you, start, you go from being cute to being a threat really quickly, and uh, that's, that's, a heavy, that's a heavy burden. The thought... Of the talk 
Oh. It's awful. Dude. Because I wanted to give that guy and his sister a better life, a better world mm-hmm. than I inherited. And I feel like on some me- by some measure, I got a little better world than my mom got, mm-hmm. my uncles got, even they got, you know, my brothers. Um, but in a weird way, I've given them, we've given them a worse world. You know, we've given them more treacherous situations, more life-threatening scenarios, more more income disparity, more income disparity, more mm-hmm. more you know frontal bigotry. It's 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 disheartening. But I, like you today, woke up with a sense that there's a power in in love. There's a power in in uh, compassion. There's a power in empathy. That frankly is how we got to that point yesterday because without that power of love and togetherness and that's that multicolored coalition of people who are saying enough mm-hmm. because forever it has been our burden to end systemic racism and that's an absurd notion when you think about it and break it down. So to have um our white brothers and sisters and our Asian brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. our Hispanic brothers and sisters, all of us seeing what it is and from all walks, old and young, saying we just don't want this anymore. We don't want this anymore. And, and I believe that that, that coalition is uh, where I want to keep my energy focused right now. Fuck. I hope you're right, man. Oof. I woke up <laughs> emotional and I'm trying not to cry, but it's going to happen. I'm going to cry. So before we go, uh, I want to thank our Patreon members. I want to thank Sean Bernard. I want to thank Smart Start MN. Uh, Black Lives Matter. The end. There's, there's, there's. That's the period at the end of that sentence and the beginning of the hashtag. There's not, there's not an, another way around it, man. And fuck, this city's amazing, right? Like Minneapolis is incredible. I love Minneapolis. I fuck. absolutely adore the Twin Cities. Love it, love it, love it. Moved here from Atlanta, and I have no regrets. But the whole Minnesota nice thing made me bristle right away. Just like mm-hmm. the Southern hospitality thing made me bristle right away. Yeah. It was just a way for folks to feel good about themselves and never really talk. But now we're talking. Well, at least we're talking, right? right? And again, it's not fixed. It is not fixed. This was a very good step, and it may set a judicial precedent that could lead to other places. But days preceding the conviction and the days since, more black folk have been killed, man. Yeah. Murdered. Yeah. Murdered. uh, What was it, like 55 since George Floyd uh, was murdered? You know, it is systemic. Okay, so we get... And when you get people that push back on that and they're like, well, there's not really systemic racism. There's a couple of racists out there. Bullshit. Black folk are being murdered around us constantly and largely with impunity. If that video didn't exist of George Floyd's murder, I don't know that we would have had this conviction. Not only do you, well, let me help you with that. We would not have had this conviction because the immediate medical report was a medical situation. You know, so uh, it's not just that they lie. It's it's a systematic lie to protect murderers. And and um, and, and, and so having Chief Ariando come on and, and testify. And that was the officers, I just think that was a that was a flashpoint. That was a changing. Maybe maybe the uh, maybe the teeter is starting to go the other way. Maybe we're leveling off until then. I don't want to hear about. You know, I know that being a good cop can be, you know, it'd be dangerous for your career. If not your life and your family, right. I don't know how to get around that because I'm not a police officer. But right now, what we saw in terms of examples of good policing, police officers were the people who testified in this trial saying this is not who we are. This should not represent us. And the reason why there are trust issues is because of shit like this. 
Just hearing people like Donald Williams, one of the witnesses, say, I will not have the defense attorney paint me out to be an angry black man. It's the easiest thing to do historically. I I will not allow that to happen, and he fought against it. The other thing that I I just want to flip it on people so often, I'm like, this was over a fucking $20 counterfeit bill. Meanwhile, fuckheads like Martha Stewart, who did insider trading, did some time and was back on TV within six months. And people are like, well, the guy was an opioid addict. Yeah, so was fucking Rush Limbaugh. And can you imagine if a black man put his knee on the neck of Rush Limbaugh and we had it on video and he was killed? Well, we have an example of that, oddly enough, with Muhammad Noor. Yes. Uh, it, that script was flipped. And there, that guy didn't even get it. He didn't even get defended by the union. And that she got the biggest trial. payoff in the history. So yes. we, that would bug me if I was a brother on the police force, right? So it's like yeah. this... And we went through this through the through the last presidency over the last four years about Mm. what is patriotic and and the fact that that guy referred to Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group and that it's still being regurgitated. Mm -hmm. We've got work to do. Yes, we narratives matter to say the very least. Before we let you go, Julius, and this has been wonderful, and we'll have you back again before too long. All right, you got a gig coming up mid June. It's going to be at the Hook and Ladder. It's going to be outside. By then, most of us will have our double vaccines. And for those of you who are still resisting the vaccine, don't be a fucking idiot. You're not part of the five G network. You're not going to have (laughs) nanobots injected into your stream. There are no microchips. We just all want to get back to going to the grocery store without a fucking face covering. All right, get your fucking vaccine. And by June, I don't know about you, I'm getting my second one. Did you have your second one? I had my second one yesterday. And how do you feel? I have a sore arm. That's it. Knock on wood. I mean, my my wife got sick as a dog. Your wife got sick as a dog. Where'd you go? F- Team Pfizer? I'm yeah, I'm the P T the P squad. Julius, I'm gonna ask you. I mean, he looks a little green in the gills though, doesn't he? <laughs> I'm not stepping into that shit. I'm, I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm getting mine in a week. <laughs> that's my cousin we're talking about. Exactly yeah, no, right. oh, that's exactly so weird. Right. So weird. I'll get my head around it at some point though. Uh June thirteenth is when you've got a gig Sunday, two shows yeah. coming up. Just like Hendrix used to do, man. The 7 o'clock and the 9 o'clock. Go to the Hook and Ladder if you want to know more. A great local nonprofit South Minneapolis organization. Uh, Julius, I hope you're well. I'm going to ask you one last thing, and I know this is kind of a loaded question given what our city's been going through, given the life you've led, given where we're all at right now. Do you feel all right? I feel all right. I feel all right. You know, I, that, that's, a, that's a tough one to calibrate right yeah, now. Yeah, I know Like it is. I said, I feel better than I felt yesterday. Okay. And that's, that's, uh, that's, a, be a, that's a pretty forward, good thing, right? man. You know, yeah. and I'm here with you and I'm here with Sean. And so <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. And, and uh, I, I, I do feel all right, man. I do feel optimistic. Well, and again, I'm not asking anybody to think like, oh, the world's being fixed, all that kind of stuff. Just literally one day at a time, day by day, right? And today we're all still here and the sun is out. And uh, we're going to hear one more song. And I want you to tell me about the song before we wrap it up. Okay. I, um, I mentioned the last song that was... Uh, today by the fuzz and I simultaneously was doing a, uh, just kind of a funky Chris Christian, uh, style music, funk and roll with Michael Bland and Sonny Thompson and Tommy Barbarella. And that was called sons of almighty. So this is a song from, from that, uh, disc. 
And it's, if I can interrupt for just one last second, I hate to do this, but the way he just threw off those names, like, oh, here's just a group of guys I was playing with. When you're talking about <laughs> freaking celestial <laughs> A-listers looks, from the Minnesota, like, oh, I was doing a little project with Tom Barbarella <laughs> and Michael Bland. There he is. Dude, it is so wonderful to have you in here. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Please finish the description. I just, I love, <laughs> I love the casual way he throws off these fucking pew, pew, just pew, Watch pew. your feet. I'm dropping And down. they're unbelievable. They're yeah. unbelievable. I love those dudes they've been like brothers to me since i've been here and michael you know is the reason why i ended up in minneapolis because we were doing that black julius project with prince for uh the first couple years i was in town so this is from sons of almighty and it's called beautiful julius thank you for coming in always a pleasure thanks for all the work you do with my church saint joan of arc he has done phenomenal work for my progressive talk about good people little church on the south side love those folks and I love you, and I'm thank you, thanks, so thankful for your friendship. I love you, man. Right back.